You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. Eighth Parsha of Genesis, Parsha Ben. And Jacob has just left his 20 years with his uncle Laban. And you'd think he'd get a break, but he goes from one furnace to another. He, uh, he, sorry, Parsha Vayishlach. He enters the land and he's got to deal with First of all, his brother Esau, who he hasn't seen in 20 years, who's out to kill him, and or was out to kill him, and he doesn't know where he's going to be at now at this point, 20 years later. He's got to deal with, uh, right before that encounter, a mysterious nighttime incident where he's wrestling with the angel all night. We'll have to see what's the significance of that, what that means. And then... His daughter Dina is taken and raped by the neighbors in Shechem, and obviously a traumatic family incident, and uh, how they will react we will see. And then the Parsha ends with the descendants of Esau. So, encounter with, uh, with Esau. The commentaries start talking about whether Yaakov should have even engaged with Esau. Some of them say that uh, he's coming back to the land of Israel. Esau is in Seir, which is today Jordan, southern Jordan, northern Saudi Arabia. And his mission seemingly is to go back to Bethel where he left and vowed to come back and give an offering to God to see his father. And also very strange is going to be that he dawdled, he dawdles at the border. He doesn't go right in. So we're going to have to address that. And... But should he even have engaged Esau, who uh, was only trouble to him and uh, whose intentions he doesn't know? Other commentaries say he had to engage him. If he tried to ignore him, it might have angered him more, and he'd be living with that cloud above him. So Jacob comes up with a strategy. He uh, first sends gifts, and Vaishla, he sends messengers to bring these incredible gifts, hundreds of sheep, goats, cattle, uh, significant, significant uh, part of his portfolio. And of course, the underlying theme uh, going on between them is Jacob having taken the right of firstborn and the blessing. So is he perhaps trying to placate him for the blessing that he got that obviously uh, brought him a lot of prosperity? Then he divides the camp, thinking if one of them is attacked, at least the other one will survive. And this question has been raised uh, in the earlier days of Zionism, and even after the Second World War, there are people who ask, should all the Jews, should all the people be in Israel in the, in the nuclear age? Should all the Jews be in Israel? What happens if there is a cataclysmic event? Uh, you're putting all the Jews into one target. And of course, the answer to that is, this is our homeland, this is our destiny, this is where God made promises to us, and, um, and we move ahead and we establish ourselves here. So he sends gifts, divides up his camp, gets ready for war, and then he prays. And the commentaries point out, the Akeda points out, that he prays last. And Judaism has a very practical approach to life. It's when you have these kind of dangerous situations, it says... You do everything you need to do to address the danger 
and then you can address um, the spiritual side of it. Then you can put your trust in God. And ultimately, we do put our trust in God. But God wants us to make the earthly efforts, to make the practical moves that we need to make, and then he can pull it through for us. And uh, we just saw in the Talmud in Dafyomi that it says if you're going to do a mitzvah, you're protected, but not in a time of danger. Time of danger, you have to take protection. So, of course, this is very applicable today in Corona times. Uh, we don't just rely upon faith, and we have to take all of our precautions. So, the prayer. And Jacob expresses that he's afraid, and then he says uh, to God, Ketonti mihol hachasidim. I am smaller than all the goodness you've given me. In other words, the given goodness you've given me, God, is so overwhelming. He comes back to Israel with uh, a large family and, uh, and with, uh, as we saw, prosperity and the renewed promise that he will get the land. God has given him so much. And he asked God, please save me from my brother Esau so that I can come and serve you. And so, um, and so that's, those are his preparations. And it says that that night, by the way, um, the, the messengers came back and told Yaakov, your, your brother is coming with 400 people with him. And of course, um, what does that mean? Does that mean he's coming to honor Yaakov, as some commentaries say? Or does that mean... He's preparing to rumble if he needs to, preparing for a fight if he needs to. Yaakov does not know his brother's intentions. So that night, he moves his family across to the other side of the river. And uh, why does he do this? Perhaps because he's afraid of Esau attacking at night, uh, to distance them from Esau. And as they went over, he still lingered behind. And it says, an ish, a man, we'll later find out is not a man, is an angel, uh, Yavek Imos kicked up dust with him. They were fighting. They were wrestling. And it says they were sparring, and this went on all night. Because the morning comes, the angel says, let me go. So who is this angel? What is going on? So the rabbis say that this angel is the angel of Esau. And it's foreshadowing the showdown he's going to have with his brother the next day. And that the attack is, in a sense, foreshadowing the attack that Esau is going to do to him. Um, so that's one way of understanding it. Uh, the other way of understanding it is that uh, this is his alter ego. The Malbim says that this... Uh, Angel is really his alter ego. He's struggling within himself, his lower voice, his lack of belief in himself, uh, his internal conflict over how to deal with his brother, whether he can prevail, his insecurities, perhaps over having taken the, uh, bought the bless the, the firstborn and taken the blessings. Uh, we're not told exactly, and so it's very mysterious. But it says that the angel could not prevail over Yaakov. And the Abarbanel says this shows that ultimately the Jewish people will prevail over the descendants of Esau, who are traced by the rabbis to the future Christians, 
the future Roman Empire, who is our nemesis, and the future Christian Empire, who is our nemesis. And remember uh, Rebecca's prophecy that uh, there will be two nations, and uh, they will be in conflict, and the older will serve brother, Esau will serve the younger, Yaakov. So, the Yaakov prevails, and but he is injured. And he limp, he's limping, uh, he's injured on his thigh, and he then, uh, the angel says, I have to go. Jacob asks for a blessing. And the angel, instead of blessing him at first, tells him, your name will no longer be Yaakov, but Yisrael. And tomorrow night we will go through an extensive uh, delve into what the name change, name change means. But in very brief, Yaakov is the heel. It was him always doing things in a kind of underhanded, indirect, uh, subterfuge way. And Yisrael, Yashar Kel, to be straight. He now is confronting his demons. He's meeting them straight on and seemingly having a a uh, pivotal moment of personal transformation that he is going through. And he calls the name of the place Peniel, that I've seen God uh, and uh, experienced this incredible uh, spiritual experience, which was a struggle. And it says he came out limping, and it says, uh, therefore the Jewish people will not eat the Gid Hanaseh, which is the nerve going down the leg. And that's why kosher meat does not have filet mignon because generally they cut out that nerve. Uh, it's very difficult to cut out the nerve itself, so they cut off the whole cut and usually sell it uh, to non-kosher butchers. What does this mean that you're not allowed to eat this meat ever again? It's a reminder that Sefer Chinuch says, the Book of Education, it's to remember the uh, this moment, this struggle that we've had, and to remember that, in fact, even though we were injured, we still will survive and we still will prevail. And in the darkness of night, the darkness of the exile, where there was so much Jewish suffering, what a message of hope that despite all the Jewish people went through, and we today have lived to see the Jewish peoples not only survive, but now flourish again. Okay, so now we have the showdown with Esau. The big day comes. And after having sent all these gifts, Yaakov comes and he basically continues to butter up Esau. And the Talmud says, the Talmud questions this, should you be flattering? Judaism, you're not allowed to flatter. Why? Because flattery is really undeserved or over-exaggerated praise or uh, deference to someone. And really, we're supposed to treat people uh, in a positive way, but in an appropriate way. And so it's, uh, it's deference for an ulterior motive. And here the ulterior motive for Yaakov, of course, was to, to survive, to not die, to not be killed by his brother. So uh, uh, you can imagine that in Judaism, if life is endangered, certainly many things, including flattery, including lie-telling, would be suspended. So he calls himself your, my ser your servant. He said, I'm your servant to his brother eight times. He bows down to him, and the rab rabbis say that because he bowed down so many times in the future, the, his descendants, the, Jacob's descendants, will be subservient, uh, overly subservient and, and suppressed by Esau's descendants. Uh, he, so the rabbis say that he did too much. He went 
too far. Fine, you want to make sure that he doesn't attack you, but you don't have to go that far. Um, he also says to Asaph, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. Now we know Asaph was not the most godly person. And the Talmud talks about in Sota 41 how uh, Rabbi Judah used to go to Rome, and when he met Antigonus, he would shower him with praises. Same idea. Um, and of course, for people like that, appealing to their ego is exactly what they want to hear. Okay, so um, so what happens? The big uh, build-up, the suspense, the drum roll. Aesop sees Yaakov, his brother, after 20 years, even though 20 years ago he wanted to kill him. He runs, he hugs him, and he kisses him. All seemingly is good. However, Vishakehu, on the word he kissed him, in the Torah scroll there are dots written on. Remember, the vowels are not in the scroll, but these dots are. So there must be something very important and significant about this. So the rabbis say the dots show really the opposite of what the Torah is saying. Really, he kissed him, but he bit him. Uh, he tried to bite him, and Yaakov's neck turned to granite, and he broke Esau's teeth. What does that mean? Whether it happened literally or not is not the point, but it's telling us that Esau now can no longer hurt Yaakov. Yaakov has the spiritual strength to stand up to him, and on some level, Esau must know that. On a psychological level, there's a really, really a truth to this, that we know there's some relationships we have that are very strained, that are very uh, tense, and certain people, you know that you say the wrong thing, you cough the wrong way, and they'll blow up, and they'll turn on you, and their anger will come out. So... Um, so that's a way, another way to understand it, is that, yes, Asaph hugged him and kissed him, but the animosity is still there, and any little thing could have triggered it, but it doesn't. So now Yaakov has another problem. When he prays to God, he says, save me from my brother from Asaph. So the commentaries say, what does that mean, from my brother from Asaph? So the problem is, uh, that if Esau is uh, nice to him, if Esau is going to attack him, so save me from my brother, he's dangerous. If he is nice to him, then he's got another problem. Because Esau now wants to travel with Jacob. And Jacob knows Esau and his entourage will not be a good influence on his family. The last thing he wants is to be stuck with Esau. And so he says, you know, I have a big entourage. Uh, I can't drive my sheep. You go ahead to Seir, and I will follow and join you. And of course, he never joins him. Uh, he never had an intention to join him. Once again, uh, the permission to lie in order to escape, to save himself from these negative influences, in this case, perhaps spiritual. Now he knows that there's no physical danger to him. So... Um, so the rabbis say that in the Messianic times, Yaakov uh, will, the Torah, will go out to Seir, the power of the Jewish people, and will uh, really uh, overcome and influence uh, Edom and Esau. So Jacob comes out safe. And now we would think, what is he going to do? Run to his father who hasn't seen him for 20 years. 
go back to Beit El where he took a vow to make this, uh, to offer, bring offerings to God on this uh, altar that he'd set up. But he does none of that. It first says that he camped in Sukkot, which was on the other side of the border of Israel. The rabbis say he stayed there 18 months. Extremely puzzling. Then he goes to Shechem and he buys uh, land there. And he spends time in Shechem. One of the commentaries says because he didn't go right into Israel, because he didn't go fulfill his vow, because he didn't send his father, this disastrous story with Dina is going to happen. But why didn't he go right into Israel? So after, in Shechem, we're going to see that God then finally comes to Yaakov and says, Yaakov, go back to Beit El and fulfill your vow. And he does. But he says before he sets out, he tells his entourage, his house, get rid of all the idols that are in the house. Very shocking that Jacob's house would have idols, although he had a large entourage. And... Uh, there's also the idol that Rachel stole from her father. But perhaps this is why he didn't enter immediately and go right to his father. He wasn't ready. His family, his house wasn't in order, so to speak, spiritually. And he needed to prepare to be able to actually come there. And so, um, so eventually he will get there. But, and it tells us eventually, Yaakov will come to Isaac and will see him before he passes away. Uh, tragically, it doesn't say anything about Rivka, and the sages say that she passed away before he was able to come and see her. In fact, right before uh, her handmaid, Devorah, dies in Jacob's camp, and the rabbis say that really is a message that Rebecca died. So tragically, he never got to see his mother. But before we talk about the final reunion, we have to look at what happened in Shechem. So they come to this town, he buys land, and this is very significant because I mentioned before with Abraham uh, buying Hebron, here Yaakov buys a plot in Shechem, King David will buy in Jerusalem, and those places particularly, Shechem is the, birth, is the tomb of Joseph, those particularly we have had struggles to keep the Jewish holy spots and the Jewish presence in these towns. Shechem, the tomb of Joseph, was uh, burnt Torah scrolls were defaced by uh, the, the, uh, the Palestinian population living there. And every once in a while there are sorties with army, army accompaniment to show them that this is our holy spot. Legally, uh, according to Oslo Accords, they're supposed to give us uh, access to these places, but unfortunately not so uh, simple. Okay, so Shrem, he comes into Shrem, and what happens? Dina, the one daughter who we're told about of uh, Leah and of any of the wives, goes out and uh, Shechem, the son of Hamor, uh, the mayor of the town is called Hamor, donkey, and his son is called Shechem because he embodies what this town is about. He sees her and he rapes her. And then it says his soul connects to her and he loves her. Very warped. Um, and then they're holding on to her and they come to Jacob and his sons and they say uh, our, my son uh, Hamar says, my son loves your daughter and he wants to marry her 
and you marry her, we can marry each other, tribes, and you'll be here with us, and the whole land will be open to you. And it says that Jacob says nothing. He holds his tongue, and he is silent. But it says his sons were furious, were steaming, because the Torah says the affront that was made against the daughter of Yaakov, and this is not done. This is what they say. You don't do this to our sister. And so we're going to see that uh, the Torah then says, also in a very editorial comment, the sons of Yaakov uh, hurt Shem and Hamor, his father, with trickery because he sullied their sister. What did they do? They tell them, sure, we'll enter in a, into, a, into a bond with you, into an, uh, a partnership. However, you have to have all your men circumcised. And then Dina can marry Shrem, and we can marry your daughters. And so they, they circumcise. And on the third day when they were weak, uh, and it says that the sons of Jacob, Shimon and Levi, attacked Shrem wiped out the town, killed all the men, took the woman and children slave, and took all the booty. And here Yaakov does react. And he says, what did you do? How could you do this? The neighboring peoples are going to attack us because of this. Now, very strange unfolding of events. How do we understand this? How do we understand that they wiped out the whole town because of the actions of two people? How do we understand Yaakov's restraint? Very problematic, very difficult. And what we have to say is this. So there are several commentaries that try and grapple with this. Nachmanides says that Yaakov never intended to kill them all. He thought they'll refuse to circumcise, and then they'll have a reason to say, give us our daughter back and we're out of here, because they were holding... Dina captive. Um, Maimonides says that uh, very clearly Hamor and Shechem were guilty of rape, kidnapping. Kidnapping is liable death penalty in Jewish law. And furthermore, Maimonides says that uh, the Torah enjoins that even non-Jews have a system of justice, have courts, enforce, uh, enforce law. And by acceding to what their leaders did, the entire town was liable for allowing this to happen and for backing it. And seemingly they were part of the defenses when Dina was kidnapped. So that's Maimonides says this was totally justified. Some of the commentaries take an in-between position. Uh, the Balitosvot say that um, when it says they were uh, pained they weren't pained over the Brit, over the circumcision. The people of Shechem were pained and realized, oh, we should have never gotten into this deal with them. And it says, because when he's presenting the deal, the mayor says to the people, we enter this deal, all of their property is ours. So from here, the commentaries say that they weren't really going to do a deal. They were going to turn on Yaakov and his sons and kill them and take their property. So... Um, so this was, in a sense, uh, self-defense. That's what the other commentaries say. But um, in the end of his life, 
when he gives a blessing to his sons. Yaakov will say, uh, will curse Shimon and Levi's anger, and then he will uh, divide them amongst Israel. They will not have a Levi are spread throughout the people. Shimon is put in the middle of the strongest tribe, Judah. And um, he, in a sense, the rebuke maybe isn't that this was wrong to do, but the way they did it, acting on impulse, acting on anger, was wrong. And the commentaries struggle with, uh, do you, when you are, when you don't have the power, and when you are oppressed, and when you are um, um, the victim, uh, do you lash back, or do you uh, pick up and uh, try and recover and move on? And so we see two different outlooks. Yaakov's was to do that. His son's was, no, such an affront cannot be done to our sister. Now, it also hints that it's being done out of pride and out of ego, uh, not out of justice. So that might also be a problematic dimension to it. But um, the people, locals do not attack them, and they move on. As we mentioned, uh, Yaakov goes back to Bethel to bring the offering at the place where he originally left, and um, gets rid of the idols, reunites with his father Yitzchak, and then it tells us, it enumerates all of his sons and the family that he had, that he brings to Yitzchak. Yitzchak must have been very proud and had some uh, solace uh, to see this. And then in contrast, it says that Yitzchak passes away. He dies. He's gathered to his fathers. He was died by Zaken Seva Yamin. Elderly with uh, satisfied years. In other words, he had a full life. And the Parsha ends very interestingly with a long chapter on the children of Esau and the kingship of Esau. And the kingship of Edom, who are the descendants of Esau. Remember, Esau was called Edom, the red one. So it tells us um, Isaac's death first, even though it happened before the birth of Esau's children, after the, de- the birth of Esau's children, to separate out Esau, to show that he was kind of out of the family. And in the middle of this dialogue, of this narrative, it says that Esau left the land of Israel because of his brother Yaakov. So even though it says Esau and Yaakov buried uh, Isaac, remember, Yishmael deferred to, to Isaac at the burial of Abraham. Now Esau does not defer to Yaakov. Yaakov, remember we saw, kind of tries to make Esau feel like he's still the, the older one, the firstborn, but we see that Esau did not have an interest in staying in the land of Israel, in staying in the spiritual path of their grandfather Abraham. He leaves and uh, builds up his own kingdom, so to speak, his own dynasty. And uh, the long list is also on a mystical level. In the Zohar, the Idra Rabbah understands this to be talking about spiritual dimensions of the world, the evil side of the world being sweetened and being redeemed. We're not going to get into the Kabbalistic ins and outs of that, and I wouldn't understand it in any case. Uh, so, uh, but that's how the Parsha ends off. And uh, Yaakov has, in a sense, completed 
this chapter in his life. He's gotten back into the land. He's reunited with his father. Uh, hit bumps and tragedy with Dina along the way. Navigated the ins and outs with his brother Asav, and seemingly is now ready to settle down and for uh, life to be finally, so to speak, normal. But we will say ne see next week that unfortunately for Yaakov that will not be the case as we begin the Joseph Saga. Tomorrow night we are doing an in-depth podcast about uh, Jacob and the angel, the change of name, and what does the name Yisrael, what does Israel mean? What are the meanings in the name, and how does that reflect upon who Jacob was and who the Jewish people are? Have a good evening.